Hey, everybody, Pepper Sweeney jumping in here just quickly before we get into this week's episode. Uh, I just want to remind you that coming up on October the 26th, we are going to be doing a live Being Known podcast recording at McLean Presbyterian Church in McLean, Virginia, and we would love, love, love to see you all there. The following day on the 27th, which is why we're all going to be together, Amy, Kurt, and I will all be there, we are going to be doing the Center for Being Known's Connections Conference. This year's theme is Emergence. We have great speakers lined up, and we would love for you to sign up for that. It's a great way to connect with other people that are looking to do this work, that are looking to join confessional communities, that are like-minded and wanting to learn more about being known. So go to thecbk.org, the CBK. Org and click on the Connections 2023 link in the banner and uh, get yourself registered because we need to see you there. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend... The man in black himself, Pepper Sweeney. <laughs> I hear the train coming. We can't afford that song. That's all we can say. <laughs> How are you, Kurt? Dude, Johnny Cash has to be one of our artistic offerings at some point. Oh my gosh. Do you know I have a picture? Did I ever show you that picture of me and Johnny Cash? I never showed you that. I'll have to send it to you. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. So... I did it. I robbed a stagecoach that he and June Carter were in. And <laughs> yes. And I was not folks. Like I, this, this like this is not well, he wasn't acting. Like he really <laughs> did. Like Pepper, man, dude, like you look great for being like 137 years yeah, old. Yeah. Robbing a stagecoach in 1873. I worked with him for like uh, a week on um what was the name of the show? Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, if you remember. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah with so, uh the the British. Yes. Actress. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I can't, you know, that famous pro- British actor. Pronouns are the first thing to go, Kurt. <laughs> uh, so, so he was great. I mean, I I just loved you know being with him, and and um, I remember one time we were sitting in a couple of directors' chairs next to each other, and they called for a first team, and we both had stuntmen, and all the scene was was like me running across a field or something, and I jump up, and he grabs me by the arm, and he says, "Sit down, Pep." says, that man over there, he needs a job too. <laughs> so the stuntman like frolicked through the meadow <laughs> and I'm sitting there watching. Oh, but he was, he was great. But I do, I have a great picture and I'm, I'm in, co- we're both in costume. You know, I mean, he was always in costume, but we're both in right, costume yeah. and, uh, uh, yeah, it was, that was a fun, a fun job. Oh dude, I got to see that picture. I'll send it. I'll send gotta, it. Oh man. Oh man. That's, that's awesome. Anyway, that's not where we were. Where we were going, no, or, but I or, but I do love his work. Yes, do love his work. Yes, um, like he's a real dude. So yeah. yeah, so we are here in season eight of the Being Known podcast, and we are putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty this season. And um, for those of you who were with us last week, I hope that you spent some time with as Kingfisher's Catch Fire, and I also hope you spent some time with Ansel Adams' work. Because uh, what we're doing is a little bit different this season, 
in that our usual end-of-show applications for the week are a little bit different. And what we're doing this season is our artistic offerings have become the application so that uh, we can all be on the same page and have done a little bit of work by the time we get here and and we can communicate in a way that we're all knowing what the artistic endeavor is that we're talking about. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a way for us to um, kind of put flesh to the bones of like, what does it mean to actually preemptively or, or in anticipation of something, we're putting ourselves in the path of oncoming. We're going to get there before it gets here. Mm. And uh, so that we want you to be spending time with these artistic pieces in anticipation of what we're going to do. And so therein lies the application work of being present, like putting yourself in the path of the beauty that you would find in the Hopkins poem. Mm -hmm. And in addition also to the work of Adams, which we're going to get to today. Yeah. And um, so this also entails, we, we said that, you know, beauty is, uh, has these four W's and these three R's, this wonder, welcome, worship, but then work. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this work uh, that it offers to us to do that is transformational. It enables us, it, enable, it, it, it helps facilitate the renewing of the mind, as St. Paul talks about. Uh, because what it's doing, it's mapping us back onto the first page of the Bible. What our what God's original intent is for us to be his image bearers. We are going to be like God, which means we're going to create things in the world to which we turn and say, oh my gosh, that's just beautiful. And we can only do that to the degree that we are looking for beauty and paying attention to it. And so that leads us then to the episode that we're going to like enter into today. We said last week that one uh, part of the format uh, of this season includes our use of uh, the domains of integration. Uh, each episode is going to include that and appeal to one of those, and we're going to walk through them systematically, and that for today is the domain of consciousness. And for those of you who have been with us for some time, you're familiar with this. Again, you can go back to season two and look at these different domains, listen to our episodes on these different domains. But the domain of consciousness, we would say, is where we as humans begin. Uh, we, uh, you know, we come into the world and there is that little newborn and she or he, we like to say, like, is looking for someone looking for her, looking for someone looking for him. And that never stops. And they are also though really pretty underdeveloped and immature yet in their awareness of their awareness. Like we can see that they're aware. They're trying to find us with their disconjugate gaze, their eyes kind of going all over the place. And they need us to lock eyes with them to get their eyes as an opportunity for them to look at us. And I would say, like, it's important to know that this is what beauty is trying to do. Beauty is trying to lock our gaze onto it. But it does so without twisting our arm. Doesn't, it's not violent in that regard. But it does then invite us to be curious about these three words that we like to talk about when it comes to consciousness, which A, are we awake? Are we awake in the world? Am I awake not just to the things that are outside my skin, but am I I awake to the things that are inside my soul? Am I awake to that? Am I alert to it? Because I can wake up like I was this morning. Dude, like I woke up this morning. I was awake. I was done sleeping. But man, I I don't know that I slept well because I I was not completely alert yet. 
And then let alone moving from being alert to being attuned. Being attuned not just to the thing that I am training my attention on, but am I also attuned to my own experience and response and reactions to the thing that I'm attuning to? Hmm. Am I attuned to not just the thing outside my skin, but am I attuned to the relationship between me and that which I'm turning my attention? This happens in relationships, but this also, as we'll eventually get to when it talk about like we had before about my experience with Mark Rothko and like what it was like to be in the room where I felt like I was being seen by a painting, which is a little weird. Yeah. We'll get there. Are we awake? Are we alert? And are we attuned? And as you're listening to us right now, that's a question for us. And like, and, and where are you turning your attention? Even right now in this podcast, where is your attention drifting? Is it, are you worried about your job? Are you worried about your marriage? Are you, are, are you thinking about that trip you're going to, you know, take out west that you've been looking for looking forward to for such a long time like where where are we turning our attention and for us to encounter beauty it means that we must first be curious about whether or not we're awake alert and attuned and then this gets to the primary neurobiological feature of my consciousness like i i am conscious like i'm aware that i'm aware yeah but to what degree yes no no just go ahead. Yeah, yo, dude, like you got something to no, say. No. Yes, you do. do yes, not. you do. Yes, you do. Okay. Continue. Come on. No. <laughs> Continue. Okay. How well are we paying attention to what we're paying attention to? That's been something that's, and that, now that, know, and now, that's one of the things I learned from you very, very early on. And, and honestly, it's been very helpful. And, and hmm. so many, like, like to, to start, to start the day, paying attention to what I'm paying attention to. Try it. It'll, you know, it'll, you'll be surprised. And also you will likely start drawing attention to things that you should be drawing, drawing your attention to things that you, that you should be drawing your attention to. Yeah. 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 And I think I also become pretty quickly aware of how my attention is drawn to things in such a way that I'm, I'm not just like, oh, I see the candle over there in my office as we're recording. It's mm-hmm. not just I'm drawing. It's I start to tell a story about that candle, right? So I draw attention to all kinds of things, but that attention then quickly leads to telling a story about it. And one of the things that beauty is doing is it's it's not just in the world just happening to be there. Like it has a purpose of wanting to help us tell our truer story, mm. Right, that notion, and as you know, from the poem, right, that we that we just experienced last week in the in the episode, this sense that we each have this true role to play in the world that we were made to be ourselves. Like, okay, so dude, that pebble falling into the well, right? Oh my gosh! From as Kingfisher's catch right, fire, right? Like something as inert mm-hmm. as a pebble. Hopkins senses its purpose. Right. And draws our attention to it. In draws ways, our attention to it. In ways that, you know, <laughs> you, you wouldn't even give it a thought, right? Yeah. No. No. Who would, who would stop and say, oh my gosh, did you just see that pebble right. fall into the well? Right. And it, it, but to pause to do that, like it make makes me aware of how anxious I am. 
because my anxiety is just driving my from to da to da to da to da like to think to think to think to think to think. I'm just trying to get through my day, checking the boxes, all the things I got to do. And there's so much beauty whose whose path I step off of mm. instead of being in it. And this leads then to this notion of like, well, how aware am I? What are the features of this awareness? To be awake, alert, and attuned, what are the features of this? We talked about, we've talked here before about the tripod of awareness. Like when I first have to be open to this. And being open is not a thing that's just going to happen. It is going to be a thing that I'm going to have to work, to your point, to be open to beauty. It's going to require work, that fourth W. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beauty is certainly robust in its wonder and it's welcome and drawing me to worship, but like not if I'm doing, if I'm not doing the work to be open and then observant and to observe is to be attentive and attuned without condemnation. And dude, like I feel like I'm in third grade when it comes to this. Like Mm -hmm. I am so quick to condemn. I like it at every turn, me, like I, I'm quick, right. and eventually, I, you know, I, as we've said here before, I condemn myself enough, and then I, and I have so much condemnation, I, I feel like I need to share some of that with other people. <laughs> Thank you for that, by the way. And I'm really, I'm really good at that. I'm really here, here, please. You're no, st- I, I am. It's the thing. I am more generous. I am. I am a. I am an incredibly generous person when it comes to condemnation. Listen, condemnation is not a spiritual gift, Kurt. You got to let that one go. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm very generous with yes. others when it comes to condemnation. Yes. Yes. So if I'm observant without condemnation enough, then it allows me to be objective. And by objective, as not, as a, not, not as opposed to subjective, but as that I can see the entire object. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in listening to Tim Mackey talk about, uh, on the Bible Project, talk about the scriptures. And he says, like, the Hebrew Bible writers and the New Testament writers, they're not just writing information. They are artistically, they are writing a document. They are writing a text with the explicit purpose such that the text will not give up its secrets easily. It is designed like poetry. Mm. It is designed in such a way that it requires the reader to work. It wants serious engagement. With this, And so if I'm willing to be observant without condemnation, so to be open takes work, to be observant without condemnation takes work, I can be objective. I see more and more and more, but it does not just suddenly appear, just like the poem. Like, I'm going to read that, I'm going to read that poem, and every time I'm going to read it, something else is going to reveal itself. Right. And so therefore, something else about me will be revealed. And we have to recognize, like, I, I'm aware that I'm, like, my anxiety that gets in the way of all this is coming because of what we like to call the mind's economy of attunement, right? The mind has an economy of attunement. There, there are, there's kind of like a hierarchy of this. We pay attention to things in this hierarchical order. First, I'm paying attention to things that I'm afraid of, right? I want to be make sure that, I'm, that I am comfortable and confident, that I'm safe in the world and in my emotional states. Now, my body can be safe in the world. I can actually be safe in the world and feel afraid that I'm in danger, which is really important because we live in a world where kind of like the whole notion of safety, now that word gets misappropriated pretty easily and quickly to say, well, I don't feel safe, which is kind of a euphemism for like, I don't really want to do what you want me to do. 
so I don't feel safe. Well, like, and as, and as if that like that, therefore, is the plumb line for what is real. And we say, like, we can feel afraid and still be quite safe. And so their work is involved in kind of maturing through that sense of being afraid, even while I am, in fact, in a position of safety that I may not be aware of, which is why we need outside brains to help us navigate all that. You know, you all may have heard, Pepper and I took a trip to El Salvador, and we have so much to share with you. In fact, in a future episode this season, Amy will interview Pepper and me about our trip. Pep, you remember Vanessa, the mother of the two little babies? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, we went to her house. Vanessa is a mother of four, two of which are twin babies. You know, we witnessed Vanessa and her husband going to great, and I, I mean great, lengths to provide for their family. And the thing that I realized, you know, in the moment is they have the very same dreams and hopes for their kids as we have for ours. And what we discovered was that with the support of a compassion sponsorship, it's possible for those dreams to be realized. You know, Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we're so aware of the amazing work that they do. And one of the unique features about Compassion is that they work with the local church. And what I love about this is that when help arrives, it arrives with a familiar face. We witnessed this impact firsthand in the way families experienced feeling seen, soothed, safe, and secure. You know, we saw the need firsthand in El Salvador. Consequently, we are centering our efforts there. However, should you feel a call to sponsor a child in another part of the world, you'll have that option as well. We as a community get to be part of this mission. We invite you to join us by sponsoring a child. $43 a month provides a child with all their basic needs and hope for a brighter future. Go to compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M forward slash K-N-O-W-N. And remember, $43 a month will literally change a child's life. Join us. But in addition to paying attention to that, we also pay attention to things that we are longing for. We pay attention to that in in the world we longing for. I also pay attention to what my griefs are, but if the griefs are too strong, I will not want to pay attention to them, mm. especially if it's just a like a cycle of I have a longing that is not met, it sends me into grief. I collect that, and that just drives my longing even more so, but that sends me into more grief and so forth and so on. And the answer to that is not always just that I get what I want. It's that I am loved, that someone is able to come into my life. We were talking earlier when you, Amy, and I were just before we started our recordings today, talking about the things that are hard for us. And we were saying how, like, you know, we don't like to complain. Right. We don't want to be people who complain. Well, I I said that after I'd been complaining for a good, I felt like 15 minutes of just a stream of, you you were in the path of oncoming complaint. (laughs) <laughs> for about 15 minutes. Well, I mean, so, and, yeah, but what was real? The, okay, but the irony was not lost on me because you said, like, look, I don't want to complain. To which I said, like, oh, please, excuse <laughs> me. I think that's not actually true because we've been for the sailed. last 15 minutes listening to you complain. Please, if you're going to complain, that's fine, but then don't lie about it, all right? Just <laughs> stop it. Just stop it, right? Uh, I'm trying. You, you can complain all you want. Just don't lie to me. Yeah. All right. Or, but, but, I mean, this is the thing. Like, we need, we, we worry about, 
naming our griefs too often. And like, we can't do that. We mm. can't name them too often. We need to have people who are with us. Who, like we said, like, well, that's why we have like lots and lots of psalms of complaint, of right. lament. And it's only in those spaces where our longings and griefs and our fears are able to be loved, be receptive to that, that that then allows us to begin to attune, to be open, observant, objective to things, including beauty that is coming for us that we might otherwise not see. And so we have this economy of time and energy that our mind is always uh, regulating all the time, right? I mean, we were talking earlier about like all, like, all the things you, like, I don't, I don't think anybody has a bigger stove with more burners that has <laughs> pots boiling on it than you do. In terms of all the stuff you, like, you're, you're cooking like four meals for five different platoons <laughs> all at the same time. And that's hard to keep track of. And like, like uh, what, you know, which pot's going to boil off, which pot's going to burn. I like, oh, all the, am I going to serve stuff that's not done? All the things. And do we get time to think and reflect and so that we can be a good cook, be a good chef? Those things are just really hard. So we have this economy of time and energy that shape how we pay attention to things that we pay attention to. And so we long to be people who are open, observant, and objective, that are willing to be aware of and attuned to the things that might frighten me and where my shame lurks in order for me to name my longings and my griefs, but also in the context of community in which I'm being seen, soothed, safe, secure, being loved in order for me to attune to beauty that's coming. And in the same way that beauty often comes to us in an emergent way, like that poem, right? We read it one time, it's one thing. We read it the next time, the 10th time, the 20th time, more and more and more of the poem reveals itself as it also serves to reveal parts of me to me by first communicating without my yet understanding it. Oh my gosh, just, that was... That's like a 50 cent comment right there. That's just, <laughs> drop that's, drop that's the it. mic. No, dude. Yeah. And beauty is this, this force that God has put in the world that is intention to transform us. And so doing, we continually have a renewed vision of the beauty that we are encountering. So it transforms me so that I can see more of the beauty. I sit with the poem. I sit with Ansel Adams' work and it changes me. Mm. And my being in a changed place makes it possible for me to even see more that I didn't see before. And on and on we go. A never ceasing further up and further in to the kingdom of God journey, as Lewis might say. And so we really want to recognize that if we are going to put ourselves, if we're going to be in the path of oncoming beauty, we first have to be attuned to his presence. Yeah. And we say that first we sense and then we make sense of what we sense, but we have to sense things first. I have to attune to it. And with that, we come to the work of Ansel Adams. Yes, Ansel Adams. Um, as I told you last week, I was first exposed to his work through my dad. My mm -hmm. dad, as a hobbyist photographer, a lot of landscape photography he, he took as well. And when I first saw it, just was really taken aback by the beauty of, of Ansel Adams' photography. 
A little bit of background on him. He was born in San Francisco in 1902. The interesting thing is, is he, so he was born to, uh, his fa- his grandfather was a very wealthy man that had been in the timber business. And hmm. I guess through the depression or, or somehow all the money was lost. His parents, when he was about six years old, they, they were pretty broke. Um, hmm. His aunt came and lived with him. And when he, he taught himself how to play music and read music at 12 years old. And he, he had planned on being and worked as a concert pianist. He took, after he taught himself how to play music and read music, he then started taking lessons and was a pretty accomplished pianist. He has composed some music, by the way. Um, hmm. And, hmm. and so fascinating. So just, I think that that mind that, that was both art, that, 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 that he was very strong with in the arts, but also that that technical aspect of writing music and the piano and all of that really lent themselves to be the kind of man that could do the kind of take the kind of photography photography that he ended up taking you know taking and giving to the world. And so much of his work is so beautiful, not only because of what he did in the moment, but what he did in the dark room. He was mm-hmm. able to do things mm-hmm. in the dark room that that other others hadn't before him, where you'll see, you know, two of the works that we talked about last week and asked people to to look at. The the first one being and the the monolith, which was his the first one of his photographs that really caught fire in the in the world. Uh, it was shot in nineteen twenty seven. And um it is a beautiful photograph of Half Dome in Yosemite. But look at how mm-hmm. black that sky is in the background. It's amazing. That's the dark room. That's the that's you know that's that's taking making it so contrasting so that then you can that every single line and crevice in that rock face that you can see and the way it's lit and everything and so crystal clear and beautiful. Just it, it, a lot of that work was was done in the dark in in the dark room and. He, uh, his aunt was the first to take him to Yellowstone and it forever changed mm. his life. He was 14 mm. years old when he first visited, I'm sorry, not Yellowstone, Yosemite. He does have some photography from Yellowstone as well. There's a beautiful one of Old Faithful that he has. But um, he, he took his uh, little Kodak with him uh, when he was 14 years old and, and took a bunch of pictures and it just never left him. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's, I, I found a little quote that says, Adams meant his images to convey the emotions he experienced while taking pictures. And then he heightened their impact in the darkroom, like I was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, he, was a, he was an absolutely superb printer. Like that part of his, his work may not be as well known or that aspect of his work that people think that he just went out with that large format camera and this is what he came out mm-hmm. with. But he added mm-hmm. this other element to the art. So... Mm-hmm. This quote went on to say, how lucky is it for the arts that human vision, though it does not register the world in black and white, can respond to colorless representation on a level within reach of its response to color. And I totally get that with his work, right? I mean, you, to me, I get so immersed in it that it's like when you're watching a great film with subtitles, a foreign mm-hmm. film, and you forget that you're reading subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you're just so caught up in the story. I'm so caught up in his in his photography 
and the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't think it would be better if it were in color. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, I just find it absolutely gorgeous. I do want to invite you to look up the, the, the photograph of Moonrise that he took in Hernandez, New Mexico. It's titled Moonrise, Hernandez, New Mexico, 1941. It's a gorgeous photograph that was captured just before sunset. You've got some adobe buildings in the front and some lights uh, that are the, the uh, graveyard here. If you notice, Kurt, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but there's this graveyard that's just because of the sunset, the graves almost look like they're lit up, right? They're almost, mm-hmm. they're almost lit mm-hmm. up. And then the background, the clouds with the mountains. And I mean, I've had all week since we talked about doing this, I've got a large monitor as a second monitor, and I've had my screensaver has just been Ansel Adams all week mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. So all day mm-hmm. long as I'm working or, you know, take a, take a few minutes to look over and, and, um, and take a look at this. The other photograph that we asked people to spend time with this week is the Grand Tetons. Uh, it's, uh, that one is, is titled The Grand Tetons and the Snake River. Uh, and that um, I've, I don't know if you've seen the Grand Tetons, Kurt. I don't, I don't want to I assume. Have, had, oh. couple, yeah, two or three times. And it's just, I mean, this, uh, I mean, I mean, both of these, uh, I, well, I, I got a couple of reflections, but yeah. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear. So, so this photograph, so I, I have also been to the Grand Tetons. Actually, I think, you know, as, I, as I'm telling this, talking about these photographs, and you know that, and I, I started by saying that my dad was the one that first exposed me to this, this work. Mm-hmm. When I was probably 28 years old, my dad and I took a trip across the country, just the two of us. And the Tetons is one of the places that we stopped. Oh, my goodness. Right? And, of course, him being, you know, the photographer, you know, and, uh, and being such a fan of Adams that he was shooting black and white out there. And I have some great stuff. I have a, I have a large photograph of a lot of the stuff that he took, that he took out there. It was, it, was a, it was a great trip. But I think I feel an, an extra emotional connection to these pieces probably because of that, or at least it brings that up in me, right? Which, sure. you, know, you know, art right does. You know, art yeah. does. Yeah. But right. Um, right. the light captures the light so impeccably and, and the mm-hmm. way he shadows things, it's just gorgeous. It's just yeah. gorgeous. You had some reflections that you wanted to share as well. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I, 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 first of all, I love your, uh, I love the story about you and your dad. Mm. I just love that. Yeah, it's just, I, I love that. And I think it creates in me a longing. I'm just aware that I, I think there are things, I mean, my father ta- passed away when I was 17. I just think that it just creates a longing within me that I'm aware of for things that I wish that we'd been able to do mm-hmm. that we weren't able to do. So mm-hmm. there's, there's some of that, but, but really joyful for you about that part yeah. of your relationship with your dad. That's just really cool. And and also like here we sit having this conversation now, but somebody, your dad, at some point in the past himself was engaged in something and began to engage with you mm-hmm. about it. And that leads to this right now. And so the one thing that I like, I, I just want to say when it, when it comes to this process of attunement and, and consciousness and paying attention to, and just as our listeners, I, I just want to, highlight that there are engagements with beauty that you are being called to that are going to have downstream effects on other people 
when they see what's happening to you because you're putting yourself on the path of oncoming beauty, or when you talk to your kids about Mm. this, or when you introduce your friends to this, all this notion of how our beauty is reflected. So that that gets me to this whole thing about Adams Mm -hmm. has this, he takes a picture, but then he goes to work, right? There is this sense of he's doing darkroom work. And it is this, this sense in which, like, you could just take a picture and say, oh, there, there it is. I, I just a photograph of what is, and the beauty is going to speak for itself. But there is this sense in which beauty, in this sense, is inviting atoms to join it such that this photograph, in some respects, is saying, you know, what you actually see when you see the real Tetons or when you see Half Dome, mm-hmm. in many respects, it's like, oh, it, in some respects, as beautiful as it is, it's only the shadow of what's coming. Like this whole sense of imagining new heaven and new earth, this whole sense of we work, we work with nature mm. to create something that's even more beautiful than the, what the nature itself. <laughs> and, and so Adam's like, look, he, he, he does this work and he doesn't just like keep it in his basement. Right. No, there's a sense in which and he, yeah, you might say, well, yeah, I'm just expressing my emotion. It represents my emotion. But there is a sense of like, but no, but he puts it in public. Mm-hmm. There is a sense of like he's inviting us to join him. Yeah. And this this contagion, if you will, with a capital C, of like, of the beauty becomes this thing that, you know, we encounter, but then we work with it. It invites us to work with it such that the product of our working with beauty because we're paying it, we're choosing to pay attention to this, but it takes work, right? Adams has to get into the dark room to do this. It doesn't just happen magically. And who knows how many people have been elevated, have been inspired, have been renewed, have been transformed, have been cut to the quick when they engage this work. Mm-hmm. And this is work in which he he's doing work that highlights all kinds of contrasts. Right. That light and dark and the sharpness of this that we feel. And I just want to say that uh, it's an example, I think, of how often we can see our lives as just being rather bland. Mm rather average. And even the parts of our lives that we think are really pretty cool, we don't necessarily see them the way somebody else does. And the beauty, again, the beauty of who we are and who we are becoming necessarily uh, becomes that as a direct function of somebody else seeing it and getting with us into the dark room. Yeah. And it all begins with awareness. Right, at some level, something about that landscape right. caught his attention. And he started to pay attention to it in a way that was remarkable. Yeah. 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 You know, many of us don't get the opportunity to go to a place like Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Um, and his photography has opened a window to a world that a lot of people may not ever get a chance to go to. Yeah. Uh, Great. Thankfully, I have had the opportunity to be there when I was living out in California. And in our post-show conversation with Amy, you're going to learn something about 
her experience in Yosemite, um, mm. particularly with that relates to some of the f- subjects that um, that Ansel Adams photographed. Kurt, thanks for today. This is this has been mm. great. I, I, for for our application for next week, um, this week I would like to invite you to dig into the work of Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect. Um, He designed some of the most iconic homes and buildings in this country. You know, of course, there's Falling Waters, which is on my bucket list. I have got to get there. Um, But we're going to talk about architecture a bit next week, and particularly Frank Lloyd Wright. So spend some time, Google some of his, his most famous architecture, most of his, his most famous buildings and homes, and spend some time in it. And we'll explore it some more next week. Yeah, right on. All right. Right on. Thanks, right. Kurt. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.